0: section 92 of the mysteries of london volume 2 this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit librivox.org the mysteries of london volume 2 by george w m reynolds chapter 227 coldvis field prison return we now to the resurrection man that incarnate fiend whose crimes were so numerous, and all so black a dye, firmly bound and guarded by three officers, who kept their bludgeons in their hands, the miscreant saw that all resistance was vain. He accordingly threw himself back in the cab, that was bearing him to prison, and gave his way to his saturnine reflections. If I had only thought that Richard Markham would have accompanied that young girl Catherine, it was thus he mused. A very different song would have been sung. But I knew that he was married only a week ago, and never dreamt that he would leave his pretty wife to poke his nose into Banks' crib. What an infernal oversight on my part. And now here I am, regularly lumbered, and all the swag arising from Kate Wilmot's business is in the hands of that canting sneak Banks. Damnation to Richard Markham. I shall swing for this if I don't take precious good care he'll swear to two different attempts on his life one at the house near birdcage walk and to the other at twig folly what a cursed ten times cursed fool i was to let myself tumble into a snare in this way someone else will find the gold that i have saved up and when i shall be cold and stiff under the pavement of newgate others will ride on my treasure but no it can not happen in that way it's impossible that my time has come yet impossible i shall escape somehow or another i must escape i will escape but how that question is the devil of difficulty never mind escape i shall so i mustn't be downhearted these and numberless other reflections in which despondency and hope alternately asserted a predominant influence occupied in the mind of anthony tidkins and as the cab proceeded rapidly through bethnal green and Snorditch, and then along Old Street, and up Goswell Road, through Northampton Square, and lastly along Exmouth Street, in its way to Colbeth's Field Prison. At length the cab turned in the short road which forms the approach, within the wooden railings and the front governor's dwelling, to the great gates of the jail, those gates over which may be read in large letters, Middlesex House of Correction a shudder crept over even the iron frame of anthony tidkins as those huge portals towering high above the cab which now drew up close to them seemed to frown upon him like a colossal genius of evil amidst the obscurity of night ben stead leapt from the cab and knocked loudly at the gate the iron din responded to by gloomy echoes from the courts inside a few minutes heavy chains fell and the wicket was opened by a man bearing a lantern. Benstead whispered to him for a few moments, and Tidkins was conducted into a little lobby on the left hand. The turnkey had opened the gate, then proceeded to the governor's house, which was close by within the walls, and, after an absence of ten minutes, he returned with an affirmative answer to Benstead's request that the prisoner might be retained in the custody in that jail until a magistrate should otherwise dispose of him. The turnkey accordingly led the way through the wicket of strong iron grating, across a yard where a watchman armed with a loaded blunderbuss was stationed, and thence into a building and up the narrow stone staircase of which the party proceeded, until they reached a cell, where the resurrection man was now released from his bonds, was left. Tidkins threw himself upon the bed and soon fell asleep, he was not an individual to whom danger or even the prospect of death could bring remorse. Darkness and solitude had no alarms for him, and thus, in spite of the profound vexation he experienced at present predicament, he yielded to the influence of fatigue and slept soundly. On the following morning a bowl of gruel and a piece of bread were supplied for his breakfast, and he washed at the common sink belonging to that department of the jail. At ten o'clock, Benstead and two other officers arrived, placed manacles upon him and conveyed him to a cab, in which they seated themselves with. In about half an hour, the resurrection man was placed in the dock at Lambeth Street Police Office. The Prince of Montanay, attended by a solicitor, Mr. Dyson, had entered the court, and a few moments before. The magistrate, upon being made acquainted with his name and rank, immediately threw down the newspaper, saying, it is by no means necessary that your highness should enter the witness-box. Your highness will do me an honour to accept a seat on the bench, and the clerk will take down your highness's evidence at your highness's leisure. Make room there for his highness. Usher clear the way for his highness. Scarcely able to conceal his disgust at the foulsome behaviour of the magistrate, the prince coldly stated i thank you sir for your politeness but i cannot consent to receive a favour which would not be shown to a poor and obscure individual the magistrate turned very red and bowed meekly but without repeating his offer the case was then entered upon the prince detailed the particulars of that adventure and at the resurrection man's house in the neighbourhood of the birdcage walk with which the reader is already acquainted, and he also related the subsequent circumstances connected with the blowing up of the Dana Deed, which had cost several persons their lives, and which, added Markham, was no doubt perpetrated by Tidkins himself. When these depositions were taken down, the prince was about to enter upon his second charge namely. The attacks were made upon him from Twig Folly, but the magistrate thought the first case had better be previously completed, and resolved upon remaining the prisoner for three days, in order to allow time for the procure of evidence of those surviving policemen who had witnessed the fate of their brother officers on the occasion of the blowing up of the house. Tidkins was accordingly remanded to Coldbethsfield Prison, and the Prince of Montemay immediately repaired in his carriage to the wholesome house, the particulars of which visit have been detailed in the preceding chapter. On his return to the jail, Tidkins was allowed to walk for an hour in the tread-wheel yard nearest to the entrance of the prison. There are several treadmill yards in Coldbath Field's jail, alike for males and females, but we specify the particular yard in which the resurrection man was permitted to take exercise— because it has relation to a certain event which is to follow. It is also of the wheel in this yard that the fan or balance is seen above the wall near the southwestern angle of the prison by persons passing through Colbith Square. The treadwheel is an enormous drum or cylinder with ranges of steps all round it at a distance of about a foot and a half from each other, and between 40 and 50 persons can work on the wheel at a time. It moves slowly round towards the prisoners placed upon it, and thus the steps on which the foot stands descend. While the next step presents itself, a platform is built to half the height of the wheel, and from this platform the prisoners step upon the wheel itself. They support themselves by railing, and their weight keeps the wheel in motion. Thus they must sink with, and their weight... As they work on that rotary engine of diabolical torture, the action is that of going up the stairs without, however, actually rising higher. For every step, so upon the next one, its descent. And those prisoners who wait in their turns to go on sit upon the platform, the taskmaster in the yard directs the intervals of labor and those of rest. And upon this engine of torture, as we ear dominated by the treadmills not only boys of twelve of age are placed but even women yes in this civilized country in this land where novelists and poets celebrate the chivalrous devotion which should be paid to the softer sex in this great city where the pseudo saints blurt forth their nauseating hypocrisy at exeter hall and swindle in the charitable alms for which the purpose of improving and conditioning the savages thousands of miles off while there is such an awful want of instruction and moralizing elements at home in which the very center of the english capital are women subject to ferocious torture at the treadmill the food is scanty and yet the labour thus forced upon the poor sickly half-starved wretches is horribly severe Three-quarters of the crimes which send prisoners to Colbeth Fields are larcenies and robberies caused by dire penury and pinching want. The miserable beings are half-famished already, and when they enter that jail, but they are nevertheless restrained in something closely bordering on the state of constant hunger, and while the hardest possible labor is required from them, remember, reader, that we do not wish idleness to prevail in a prison. It is just the place where the habits of industry should be inoculated. <sighs> we therefore approve the system of workshops established in Colbeth Fields. We admire the oakum Room, too, where the shoemaking is taught. The department of the prison in which rugs are manufactured for a wholesale warehouse. The contracts for the purchase of the same. But we abhor torture. We ab- detest cruelty and the tread-wheel is alike a torture and a cruelty. It makes the heart bleed in the breast of the visitor to the female division of Colbeth Fields to behold women nursing their babies at one moment and then compelled to deliver them their sucklings to the care of their fellow prisoners while they themselves prepare to take their turn on the treadmill. Talk of the despotism of Turkey, Russia, Austria, Prussia. Talk of the tyranny of those countries, for the will of man is a law. Be it for good or evil, we solemnly and ephentically cry, Look at home. Flogging in the army and navy, private whipping in prisons, semi-starvation in workhouses and jails, the treadwheels, these are tortures which exist in this land of boasted civilization. There are instances in which our rulers seek to emulate the barbarism of the past ages and the wanton inhumanity of foreign autocrats. We must, in justice, observe that Colbeth Field's prison is kept in a most cleanly state. Perhaps the ventilation is not as perfect as it might be, and certainly the stone cells must be awfully cold in winter, for there are no means of imparting them to artificial warmth. But there are far as wholesome cleanliness as is concerned. There is not the slightest ground whereon to raise a cable against the establishment, the discipline maintained at that jail is on the silent system there it no separation no classification during the day but the plan of silence prevents the corruption of the only moderately bad by the inadvertently wicked at night each individual sleeps apart in a cell anthony tidkins walked about in the yard affecting a moody and sullen air of indifference but in reality catching with rapid glance at every point of the buildings around him, every object within the range of his visions, so that he committed to memory a complete map of the division of the prison where he was now taking exercise. Having walked an hour, he reconducted to his room where a bowl of pea soup with a slice of bread was given to him for his dinner. In the evening he was supplied with a basin of gruel and another piece of bread. And was then locked in for the night. End of section ninety two. Recording by Jason Ivey. You may find me at github.com slash